morning, everyone. Good to see you. Could be at the lake. Chose to be with God instead. That's good. You get extra points this week. Actually, I'd be at the lake sometime, but I burn my shoulder like I can't get in the sun. I think God says, no, going to church. That's fine. The baseball uh, theme that we're using, I, I just have to say, because I, I, I don't get to brag very often, but, you know, once in a while. But I have a nephew who's uh, in the Canadian National Minor League Championships right now, and today he plays for first place for Canada. And if he wins, goes down to the States to play in the World Series for Little League. So go, go BC. <laughs> okay, there we go. So we are in a series of uh, speaking through the minor prophets, and it doesn't mean that they're less important. It just means that there's less information. <laughs> I think some of these minor prophets have one chapter, and we're going to be looking at Obadiah and Nahum today. Obadiah is one chapter long, but the message was dire. And uh, also Nahum. And these two I put together because we don't have actually enough weeks in the summer to, call, to follow them all individually. But these two are the, one of the, the only prophets that are um, focused entirely on other nations, other, other people than God's people. And what that tells us is that God cares not just for his people, the ones he's chosen, but everyone. Everyone is to be accountable before him. He has standards that are for all people, whether they believe in him or not, God has standards. He has commandments. He has principles to follow. And if we disregard them, uh, we are really at the mercy of the world's ways. We don't have God to intervene. And so today I'm going to look at Obadiah and Nahum. I, I don't know if Obadiah was the name that came for Obi-Wan Kenobi or not. Probably not. But I like Obi anyway. So uh, God is the one, and this is a reminder today if, and with the minor prophets, God is the one who allows nations to rise up and to become empires. And he's the one who allows the next big fish to come and, and take over uh, and, and to, to decimate the, the current powers. There's always, there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger nation. There's always a stronger person that comes. And God just watches throughout history and sees it all happening. And sometimes he intervenes, sometimes he doesn't. But when he takes his hand of protection off of his people, that's when these nations can just swarm in and do what they like to do, expanding their empire. So I just, here's a test for you. Do you know what the five largest empires have been for all time in the world? The five largest all-time world empires, and this is in terms of Square kilometers, actual mass. Do you know what the largest of all time? 35.5 million square kilometers. Who, who was this largest empire? Britain. So, you know, think about world history. If you go in and do all your research to see where they used to be, uh, the dominant uh, in terms of land mass, the richest, the most powerful in world history, British Empire ruled a lot and had a tremendous influence across the world. The second largest was the Mongol Empire at 24 million square kilometers. The third one is Russia, in terms of sheer uh, 22.8 square kilometers, a million square, and then the Qing Dynasty, China, followed by, I was surprised by this, anyone guess what the fifth largest was? I mean, who's a world historian here? Come on. 
Spanish. Spanish Empire ruled over 13 million square kilometers. But these, you know, to, to us they're impressive. To God they're nothing. To God they're just the next one, the next empire to come through. It, it just shows five, and there's, you know, 35 others that have dominated across the world. But to God, he's not impressed. And he will hold them as accountable as he holds the person. A nation is also held accountable. An empire can also be held accountable. So I'd like to begin with the prophet Obadiah. What does Obadiah have to say to us? One chapter in the Bible, but it reveals the heart of God. It reveals his, his uh, values, what he calls important. And we are to reflect his values as his people. So in 587 B.C., the Babylonian armies of King Nebuchadnezzar overcame Jerusalem's defenses to defeat the kingdom of Judah. And I'm going to put a little map up here. You see... Uh, Judah is, is down below. It's the lower part of uh, the kingdom. Israel is at the top. And Israel, if you go through the history of Israel, they didn't have a good king, like, ever. They were all corrupt. They all were I- idol worship. And eventually, Assyrian Empire, uh, Samaria, Samaria, and all that, they just kind of wiped them all out. And the only ones were left were the, the small tribes down here in Judah. Today we're going to be looking at Obadiah, who's, who's he's speaking on behalf of Judah, who have just been overcome by the Edomites. And the kingdom of Edom is down here uh, southeast, east of uh, Judah. They, they were supposed to be blood relatives. They were relatives, uh, descendants of Abraham through Esau. They were cousins to, to the people in Judah. They, had, they claimed the same father, Abraham. Yet what happened when the Syrians or the Babylonians came down and, and took over, the Edomites not only turned away, they, they became enemies. They supported the enemy. They supported the Babylonians. And I'm going to read in some of these uh, verses exactly what they did and why God is going to judge them. And then we're going to look at some application for us today. Let me just start with Obadiah, Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. Do you ever get visions? Does God ever speak to you? Does he reveal to you? It says in, uh, in Amos 3, 7, it says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. God wants us to know what he's up to. He wants to tell us what's on his mind and what, what's on his heart. Because when he acts, we know it's him. It's just not random activity that God is involved in. It's not, you know, coincidence, fate, whatever word you want to use. When God reveals to you what he's about to do and then it takes place, it's a reminder he's in control. He's allowing things to happen in this world um, for our benefit or for our correction. And here he's going to show that there's some correction needed for the Edomites. So he says, verse 2, we've heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size amongst the nations. You will be greatly despised. You've been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and you make your home in the high mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you say? But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. 
Every nook and every cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. And all your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land because of the violence you did to those close relatives in Israel. You will be filled with the shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. And you should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. And you should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over to their terrible, in a terrible time of trouble. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. And as you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your heads. Just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain, so you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history. But Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape, will be a holy place, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the, 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 the Lord, have spoken. And my people living in the Negev will occupy the mountains of Edom. Those who have been rescued will go up to the Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom. And the Lord himself will be their king. Edom was in the hill country. Israel was kind of in the, the hilly uh, valley areas around Galilee and uh, in between mountain ranges. And Edom felt that they were, you know, if you're going to be uh, a military um, designer, you want the high place because it's hard to fight uphill. You want to stay on the high plains. You want to force the enemy to have to come up to find you. And you can shoot down at them. They're much more vulnerable. And so Edom thought, hey, we're up in the hills. We're, we've got fortresses. You can't, you can't manage against us. And God's saying, yeah, well, just watch, watch. Because actually, as I'm speaking to you, armies are gathering right now, and they're going to come and destroy you. And it's all because... You turned your back on your relatives. You turned your back on those people you should have supported. And not only did you turn your back, you became their enemy. You looted their cities. You went in and, and handed them over to the enemies. You killed them as they tried to escape. I mean, this was, this was a bad time in the Middle East. There was wars and rumors of wars and nations coming, empires ravaging through from north to south and east and west. Lots of things going on, and, and this little nation of Israel had God alone to protect them. They were all by themselves. And when they rejected him, he took his hand of protection off and allowed nations to come in like the Babylonians. But the Edomites, they should have known better. I look at this passage, and I think about Edom trusting in their physical, physical location, their fortified cities. No one would challenge them. No one would navigate to do battle in their turf. But verse 18 says, there will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so it's done. When God speaks, it's done. It's just, it's going to happen. 
My question is, what do we put our trust in? The Edomites put their trust in their physical locations, their fortifications, their, their history of being able to manage and, and, and secure their own regions. But we, what do we put our trust in? I've been watching the news a lot lately, lately and, I, and some people, we put our trust in our financial portfolio. And let me just say, I hope you didn't have a lot of bitcoins. When I hear about Elon Musk selling off all of his Bitcoins, because he, he originally says, oh, Bitcoin's just the way to go. And now he's like, uh, sell, sell, sell. What about our security cameras? We had a, um, a theft in our church, and uh, several things were taken. Uh, we, have, we have cameras, but apparently they weren't recording. Um... And even if they were recording, we've had the police come at different times when other things have been stolen, and they said, yeah, you know, we're kind of busy to follow up on that person we see in the camera. Hard to find, he's probably a homeless person, doesn't have an address, you know, it's hard to find him, and we got other things to take care of, we don't, you know, it's like, okay, even if you have a picture of a person that stole something, it's like, yeah, you got insurance? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's like, they don't, well, what about your health care system? You know, I, I am really fortunate to be living in Canada. My, my parents and most of all of my family are down in the States. My sister has had a reoccurrence of cancer. My parents have just got COVID. And uh, my brother-in-law's just had surgery for something else. And it's like they, they have like a $8,000 deductible, which means they have to pay the first $8,000 before their insurance will kick in. That's the good insurance for some people. And I... They say we're going to have to mortgage the house if we have any more going here. But then I hear about hospitals closing in Canada, and I hear about how the, we don't have enough people in, in, in wards in our hospitals. And, you know, the COVID has done a number on our health care system. And I, my son works in the system, and many of my friends are in the health care system, and they're going, you know, it's really fragile right now. <laughs> okay. What about your homes? Place your faith in your home. I was thinking about a dozen or more people in Merritt and around Apex Mountain that have gone back to find a slab of cement covered in charred remains of their lifelong possessions. You know, you can't really trust in your homes either. You don't, you know, lightning strike, you could, your home could be gone tomorrow. What about uh, your vehicle? I know there's so many vehicles now with these other surround airbags. Like if you go into an accident, you got an airbag here and here and here and here. It's like, you get, <laughs> I hope you have a little knife to pop the airbags to get out of your car. Do you hear about the hailstorm in Alberta last week? They, like the roofs were caving in. Every windshield was smashed out by hailstones that were coming through. The guys thought, we're not going to leave this alive, even if you're in a safe car. No, there's, there's a bigger fish. <laughs> there's something that's always bigger. Do you feel invincible? You heard about the Al-Qaeda operative hiding in a wealthy part of Kabul? Yeah, I went out on his balcony after his morning devotions or something and was struck by a missile from a drone. Like, not even, nobody's invincible. Nobody's <sighs> safe. Unless you've got God in your life. Unless you've got God working in your situation. Unless you've, you've turned to him and released your life into his hands. 
the Edomites were about to find out that they had put their trust in the wrong things, that they could not trust in their own defenses and their own location. The armies were already amassing around their borders to drive them out of their homes and out of the hills and to loot their cities and their homes, just as they had done to the people of Judah. It was going to be done to them. You know, it's the same principle, right? Do unto others as, you know, it's the same thing. We've got Old Testament, New Testament together. God is demonstrating what's on his heart, his values and his principles. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Had they come to Israel's rescue, had they helped their, their, their fellow uh, descendants out, had they protected the, Jude- the Judean people in their homes and, and gave them food and cared for them, they would have been blessed. They would have been protected from the evil forces that were on their way. Amos 5.2 Another prophet we've already looked at, it says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. What we learn from Obadiah is that God is the champion for victims. He will deal with the perpetrators. He's all about justice. And when the enemy comes in, when the enemy attacks, when people turn on you, when you're stabbed in the back, who do we turn to for justice? There's only one person. It's God who will fight for his people. Well, let's look at Nineveh for a minute. Nineveh, sorry, uh, uh, Nahum was going to write uh, his letter to the Ninevites. Where was Nineveh already? We've talked about a prophet that was sent to Nineveh. Who was that? It was Jonah. This was a hundred years earlier that Jonah was sent to Nineveh to say, basically, turn or burn. <laughs> Short message, five words. He says, God's wrath is coming. You're going to be totally destroyed. They turned. They repented. Sackcloth and and ashes. And God relented. He didn't destroy them. But a new generation had come off. They didn't care about the grace that God had showed them. They were graceless. They They were evil, harsh people. They had beautiful cities, but they were terrible to their enemies. It says Nahum came from the city of Elkosh in chapter 1, verse 1. Northwest of Israel, near the, near the Lebanese border, north of Haifa, south of Tyre, around 10 kilometers from the coast. So Jonah and Nahum were both from the Galilee region. Both had a message for Nineveh. Nahum's message was a burden to him. It was a weight he had to carry. It's like, you guys, it's too late. There's no recourse. There's, there's no offer of hope here. There's no offer of grace. It's just a declaration of judgment. God's justice is going to roll. So he wrote it in a book, and uh, this time it wasn't really good to go to Nineveh and give this message because they probably would have just killed him. So he sent it to, to Nineveh, um, the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Here are some of the things he said. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. And he takes revenge on all who oppose him and, all, and he continues to rage against his enemies. Look at verse 3. It's a bit of a contrast. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. Hold on to that verse. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. And at his command, the oceans dry up. The rivers disappear. The lush pastures of Bashan and Carmel fade. The green forests of Lebanon wither. In his presence, the mountains quake, the hills melt away, the earth trembles, and his people are destroyed. Verse 6, 
Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes like the fire, and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. The Lord is good and strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust him. Like, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to face a, a penalty, but the Lord is kind. <laughs> you're going to face his wrath, but he's a good God. It's too bad you didn't stand in his presence. It's too bad you didn't acknowledge him. It's too bad you don't know this good God, this God of grace, a long-suffering one, because now you're going to find out how vengeful he can be. Verse 12, this is what the Lord says. Though the Assyrians have many allies, they will be destroyed and disappear. Oh, my people, I have punished you before, but I will not punish you again. Now I will break the yoke of bondage from your neck and tear off the chains of the Assyrian oppression. Chapter 3, verse 4. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful, the faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticing the nations with her beauty, she taught them all her magic and enchanting people everywhere. But I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now I will lift your skirts. I will show all the earth your nakedness and your shame. I will cover you with filth and show the world how vile you really are. Verse 19, there is no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal. Then all who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty? Some people have trouble with the violence of the Old Testament. They see God as cruel, judgmental, harsh. But we're reminded over and over, he is a good God. He is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is gracious and he is kind. But when you reject him and you continually turn your back on him, when you refuse to listen to him, judgment comes. There's discipline in this world. There is righteousness and there is justice. And God brings justice. And God did not send the Assyrians to destroy his people as judgment on them. He simply took his hand of protection off of them and allowed the Assyrians to do what they planned to do in expansion of their empire. But their actions were so offensive and they were unnecessarily cruel to the victims that God could not just stand by and say, well, that's the way it goes, you know, people are people. He says, no, you, you crossed the line. God will bring justice for the oppressed and solace for those who have been wronged. What these books tell us, these prophets are, are, are reminding us is that every nation is judged for how they treat others. Every nation, every cruel person, every perpetrator of violence will face justice. Jonah was written a hundred years earlier. He held out hope and mercy, but Nahum did not. It says that God's judgment will be so catastrophic over the Assyrian that archaeologists would not find the ruins of Nineveh for centuries. Completely destroyed for centuries, hundreds of years. They didn't even know where the city was. Covered over by sand. They had to dig it out. God's wrath is thorough. So God is not quick to bring judgment. He is long-suffering, but there is a limit. And to those who have once been forgiven, like the Ninevites, and found grace and mercy, more is expected. He had shown mercy to the Ninevites. He, he did not destroy them the first time. He gave them a chance to repent. And then they turned their back on him, were just as cruel as they were before, merciless. We cannot treat other people in disregard or callousness when we've experienced God's kindness to us. So we have the Assyrians that Nahum was talking to. We have the Edomites that, that Obadiah is talking to. 
And those people of Edom were merciless to their relatives rather than supporting or at least remaining neutral, they, they jumped in and became enemies of God's people again. I was looking through history uh, this last week, I think about World War II. When I lived overseas in Norway, I heard a lot of stories about uh, the Nazi regime that came through. They, they took the, the, the nation of Norway in a day. Overnight, Norwegians woke up with Nazi flags hanging down from City Hall in all the main cities. Boats, um, battleships were in all the harbors, all the airports were taken with the Luftwaffe overnight. They, were, they had gotten a wind and notice, and so the king of Norway uh, and the, the parliament, they all fled into hiding, so they weren't captured. But other countries decided, you know, there's no way we can battle the, this, uh, the, this Nazi nuisance, and so they, they declared themselves neutral, and Sweden and Denmark both declared themselves neutral. I guess Norway should have listened, <laughs> but they had a, a resistance that was uh, second to none throughout the entire war. Very noble people. And uh, we were very, very uh, I would say, privileged to be able to, to serve in that, that country for seven years as pastor. What I heard, though, is that the Jewish people throughout the continent were being sent off to concentration camps. And uh, it was only a matter of time before they started expanding to other nations. And Denmark knew about this, that there was going to be a call for all the Jews to be deported to concentration camps. So uh, by nighttime, the fishermen of Denmark decided to sneak Jewish families away over to Sweden to safety. And uh, in, terms of, in terms of numbers... There were approximately uh, 7,800 Jews plus 686 non-Jewish spouses. And during this time, and, and under the cover of darkness, one little boat at a time over to Sweden, they had evacuated 7,220 of these people. That just left a, a hundred or so that were actually deported in the end. They decided, we can't stand by and do nothing. We have to do something to help those who are in need. They chose to resist. They chose to actively help those that were in need. The Edomites stood by while their relatives were in trouble and actually helped the enemy. As Christians, we are not called to stand by and watch cruelty. We're not called to stand by and not be involved. We are not to be neutral. We are to stand up for those that are in need. We, we have to a duty to intervene when others are crossing the line or when people need help. Are you aware of the term, the bystander effect? What this is, is uh, people are less likely to get involved or to intervene in a situation where someone's being harmed if there's other people around because everyone thinks everyone else should do something. Don't just stand there, do something. Well, you do something. Well, you do something. And no one wants to get involved. And it's the brave person that says, I'm gonna, I put an end to this. So a couple of weeks ago, my, uh, my son in, in his church in, in Langley, a woman passed out on the platform during a very lengthy prayer. Watch out for those long prayers. <laughs> she passed out. She was dehydrated. And there's three nurses in the congregation that I'm aware of. And they all kind of look at each other like, well, aren't you going to do something? <laughs> Well, you're, you're in charge of all infectious control for the whole lower mainland. <laughs> you should do something. Well, I'm just graduating. Like, I, 
Finally, someone asked my son, can you do something? You know, you're a nurse. We're not. <laughs> so he helped her out. But it's the same thing. They're all kind of like, are you, are you, are you? It's that bystander effect. And I think it's, you know, when we're aware of that, you know, we should push ourselves to step forward and say, I'm, I know it might cost me something, but how can I just stand by? You see, when God is pointing out the Edomites' evil, how they didn't, not, weren't less than neutral, they just didn't intervene at all. He's saying, you got to do something. These are my people. Obadiah speaks to us today. We are the ones that step up. We are the ones that get involved. Let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Yeah, we can rail against the evil people, the per- perpetrators of evil, but let me, t- let me take another little turn here as we move into our time of the Lord's Supper. And if you are online and um, wanting to grab the elements for the bread and the drink for your Lord's Supper, we'll just be doing that in a, in a minute here. But let me just say a word. If you were like the Judah people, if you were the victim of all of this injustice, particularly if there were those who should have protected you or come to your aid when you were vulnerable or in a weakened state. Often you can legitimately say, God, where were you? How could you let that happen? Why didn't you intervene? Well, let me say it wasn't your fault. And God is aware of the evil that happened. He saw people perpetrating evil on his people all the time. He watched his son as he was crucified, as he was mocked and beaten, as he was abandoned, as he was slandered, and as he was spit upon and slapped and cruelly whipped. He had to watch, but there was a higher purpose for his son. If you were a victim, let me say it wasn't your fault. You didn't deserve it. You are not damaged goods. You are loved. You are precious in God's eyes. And the perpetrators will not go unpunished. They think they got away with it. Happened years ago. They will not go unpunished. God sees. In Christ, you can be an overcomer. In the passage against Edom... At the end, he says, my people are actually going to be inhabiting the hill country. My people are going to rule from Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas. You will be a byword. You will be gone. You will be nothing left of what you thought was so amazing. My people will thrive and will survive because I am their God. In Christ, you can be whole again, though scars remain. In Christ, you find your purpose, your meaning, and your identity. If you've been the victim, you are not labeled, you are not different, you are loved. Christ bore our wounds on the cross. He took our sorrows on himself. And his righteousness cleanses us from all sins we have done and all wrongs others have done to us. I do have people that come to my office and talk about things that have happened in their past and and I remember a woman particularly who had been taken advantage of as a young girl and she said you know pastor I used to think of myself as a victim but I am an overcomer 
I don't let that define me. I don't let that uh, become my identity. I am a, a new person in Christ. You see, he frees us from the past. He makes us whole. And when you feel tired of it all, when you don't want to go on anymore, when you feel like no, you're alone, Jesus says, I love you. I understand. Christ overcame death, slander, and abuse, and abandonment, isolation, loneliness, and suffering, so we can be overcomers through him. Would you bow your heads as we prepare for the Lord's Supper? I'm going to ask our elders to step forward to assist us in distributing the elements. Prepare your hearts even now for this holy moment entering into the presence of Christ, remembering his sacrifice, his death on a cross for us. Just before I ask Brad to uh, pray for the elements, I'm going to have our elders, if you would stand up where you are, turn around. Some people uh, say, who are the elders anyway? Here are the people who pray for you. Here are the ones who meet till 11 o'clock at night in long meetings, discussing the affairs of the church and how to glorify God in all we do, prepare budgets, who care about members of this church, who help us to impact our community, these people sacrifice time from family and other things in order to help you as Christ's body here at Maple Ridge. So do pray for each of these as well. Brad, would you lead us in a prayer thanking Jesus for sacrifice of himself for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who on the very night that he was to be betrayed, betrayed into the hands of men that had no idea what they were doing and the consequence that this would happen that a sovereign God put into into the works a plan of salvation for each of us and he told his disciples this is my body this cup is my blood do this in remembrance of me Heavenly Father we thank you for the gift of salvation, for this moment that we get to come together as a church family and celebrate communion. May we do this, Father, with grateful, grateful hearts. And we thank you for your grace and mercy in each of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.
remind you that the, uh, the cups are double cups. At the bottom is the wafer and in the top is the juice.
look to Jesus, you see a victim who's been turned into a victor. And that's what he offers us as we live our lives with him. Let us partake in the, the wafer, recognizing his body that was broken for us. Let's eat this together. It wasn't the whipping and the crucifixion and the mocking that killed him. It was the loss of blood drained from his body. And his blood cleanses us from all his unrighteousness. It's his blood that was taken on our behalf that ours would not have to be. It was the ultimate sacrifice once for all. And all who turn and believe in him as their Lord and Savior will be saved. He will rescue them. He will stand up for them. He will not hesitate and wonder if someone else is going to intervene. He is the first one to step forward and say, this is mine, my child. Don't mess with him. Let's drink this together, remembrance of him. Father God, it's a special time when your people gather together to honor you, to glorify you, to sing praises to your name. But we also know that people come with many hurts and traumas and things in their life that they just as soon forget. Father God, may they begin to understand that when you lay your life on top of ours, you bring wholeness and healing, that you are our victor, you are our mediator, you are our redeemer, you are everything we need for wholeness and life. Thank you for this church, for the impact it's having. Thank you for the Cantonese uh, group that is meeting today for the first time, worshiping in our midst, and the Koreans that will come later, and others, Father, who are here to worship you in Languages that we're going to hear again one day in heaven when we're all together around your throne praising and worshiping you. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst and how you're shaping and molding us in ways that we may not have ever anticipated, but we seek you. We ask your spirit to lead and guide us. And we pray for our elders too as we continue to lead and our staff, our pastors, and all those that are leading ministries. Lift them up, Father. Strengthen them. Give them wisdom and discernment as we try to discern your will in all things. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.